There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Caged In. I am your host, Petros Patsilovus, and it feels like it's been a while, guys. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I had to step away from the podcast for some uh, family matters. Uh, I, had a, I had a bereavement in my family. Uh, I, th- I just needed a little bit of time away from the podcast. I hope you haven't missed me too much, but I'm making it up to you because I've got an absolutely corker of an episode. Uh, it's a real humdinger. Should I say it's me joined by three other Nicolas Cage based podcasts to discuss the unbearable weight of massive talent and run down our top five Nicolas Cage films, which will be put over to the vote for you guys to determine whose is the best. We also run down uh, from like 97 listener top fives as well. I correlated all of the data and made it into like scored it all. So on the basis that the number fifth film in your list would have equaled one point and then correlating all the way down. So number one equals five points and created, yeah, created a, a, a an ultimate top five from all the listeners. And I got some amazing responses and I got some, got some terrible ones. I got some people who, who, who would say in no particular order, which totally, totally broke the system of what I was doing. Um, it took me fucking ages correlate all this data as well and uh uh, please 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 give me praise for doing it uh there's probably an easier way to have done it as well i just don't know excel i i I really could have or or, yeah i i I tried to figure out a way to make this data uh to readable and manage a lot quicker and easier but it just uh became unbearable should i say um yeah, it was it was it was it was quite a feat. It, it involved a lot of color coding, a lot of counting, um, a lot of adding up. Uh, so all things that I'm I'm not very good at, but we got there in the end, and uh, it all contributed to a fantastic episode. And um, before we get into it as well, I just want to say up front a massive thank you to Daryl, Stu, Callum, and Chelsea for joining me for this episode. Because without those guys, this madcap idea that i just randomly had one day would never have happened I would, like obviously we probably missed the boat on being a chat about the unbearable weight of massive talent but let's keep the conversation going because it is a really really fun um 
film and i feel like yeah we've already i think they've announced july june july we're getting a blu-ray release of that so hopefully we'll get everything we'll get the kitchen sink thrown in all those deleted scenes they've been teasing and stuff like that let's let's fingers crossed that they might be like a i don't know one of those classic mid-2000s xl cuts do you know what i mean just kind of throw it all back in let's just have it all, all the all the jokes and all, all that stuff that would be that would be great i know i know i i'm, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure you a nicholas gage fan would love a kitchen sink cut as, as, as i'm dubbing it um for that film so yeah let's let's get into this chat and um have some fun with it so uh, yeah let's get raging with cage Hello, I am Petros Patsilovus, and this is the Caged In Podcast. We're doing something a bit crazy this week, guys. I have not just got myself here today. I have got a plethora of other Nicolas Cage-based podcasts for what we're dubbing the unbearable weight of Nicolas Cage podcasts. I have Daryl Edge from the Cage Rage Podcast. How are you today, Daryl? Very well. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to... Um... Looking forward to you DMing me when this all goes tits up and you've lost your mind trying to edit this. <laughs> we have Stu from the Cage Fighting Podcast. How are you doing, Stu? Yeah, good. This is the real multiverse of madness. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is every. This is every cage everywhere all at once, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we have Callum and Chelsea. From the ridiculously titled, this podcast is written on the back of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> How are you guys and why the fuck did you name your podcast that? It was a really stupid fucking idea from me. Um, and I have regretted it ever since I decided to do it. Because <laughs> neither did the full title take off, nor did the anachronism to a hit to the boy take off either <laughs> yeah the seo on that i imagine is terrible Do you know what I mean? oh to... all the foot traffic we get is unbelievably <laughs> shit <laughs> amazing so uh for the listeners what we're doing here today is we are going to talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent i thought what better way to discuss that meta masterpiece than to talk about other fellow cage podcasters and i assume big nicholas cage fans but what else we're going to do today is we are going to run down our individual podcast top fives so we'll obviously have me doing my top five we'll have daryl over here doing his top five we'll have callum and chelsea doing their top five and we'll have Stu doing his top five as well as a correlated uh, top five from a hundred listeners. So I've added all them up. I've, I've pointed and ranked them and figured figured it all out. It took me way too long to get all that information together, but that's all there. And then what we're going to do is, is I'm going to put it out on the socials that you guys get to vote who had the best top five. We're going to leave the fan one as it is because that's yours already. You own that. You own that as a listener. You own that as a contributor to that, to that, to that. Um, I don't know. So yeah, to that, to that, uh, to that data. You, you you already own that. So of us four Nick Cage podcasts, 
you got to vote who's got the best top five. I'll tell you already, it probably ain't going to be me. Before we get to that, let's talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent. But before we even get to that, I just kind of uh, want to ask you all, and we'll start with you, Stu. Why did you start a Nicolas Cage podcast? It's the real ultimate question, isn't it? Um, it kind of came about because we were bored in lockdown, like everyone else. Um, but there, there was a bit of history to it. I mean, I was, as you can kind of tell for the Zoom only, um, I'm a big Wolves fan. And I, that's how I knew the other two guys on our podcast, because we, we all three of us were on a Wolves, uh, Wolves fan cast. Go and check it out if you really want to. Um, yeah, so we've been doing that for like eight years. Well, I'd been on for eight years, and I met Andy through that, and we kind of got talking through about film and other kind of things. And he just came to me and said, well, shall we do a film podcast? And at that point, we'd all been sitting around this guy's table with a recording board and proper mics and everything, and we'd never done anything remotely. And then this all happened, and we had to do it all online. And so I said, well, okay, we can we can do it online. It's easy. So he came up with the, the Nicolas Cage angle, and we kind of – amalgamated our ideas together so what uh, what we do is a bit different where one week we'll talk about a Nicolas Cage film and then the other week we'll just talk random film stuff so Amazing. like the top fives we do top fives quite of all the time like every four or five weeks or so so and every two or three months we kind of we've got our own recording orders of Nicolas Cage films as we watch them so I had to DM him earlier just to check what mine were at this moment in time because <laughs> I couldn't remember because um, we hadn't got through Pig and a, a few other things at the time of the last time we did it so yeah so we, we just kind of did that for well who cares if no one listens we're just having a bit of a laugh together and it kind of kicked on from there and I didn't realise how much of a fan of Nicolas Cage I was until I, we started doing this <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to the church my brother I think I think many of us are in the same boat. I kind of went in sceptical, and now I'm kind of like, you know what I mean? I'm I'm defending films like Stolen, going it's a fucking masterpiece, it's an action movie masterpiece. Don't I will not hear a bad word said about it. Um, well, yeah, let's let let let's hear from the uh, the ridiculous two uh, with their ridiculous title. Why 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 did you guys start a Nicolas Cage podcast? So our podcast started as all great art does on a trip to IKEA. Mm -hmm. um it was on the way home we were going we are basically the only people in the modern world that don't have a podcast so what <laughs> should we do what should we chat about uh and somehow we got around to actors and Nicolas Cage and then came the point I think three years into our relationship where I finally revealed that I'd barely ever seen any Nicolas Cage films we we've only had two arguments in our relationship one is about whether a tomato should be classified as a fruit or a vegetable. It's and a fruit. I, I, I'm not going to bring this up now because we're in <laughs> And the other one yes. is about the validity of the performances of Nick Cage. I, I was never a massive cage nut, um, but what I'd seen I'd liked and was aware that there was good and shit. And I liked the majority of stuff I saw and thought that he deserved an evaluation. and. You I were... had seen National Treasure 2. 2. Not the first one, just the second one. I had seen, <laughs> um, I think I'd seen Kick-Ass and I'd seen the animated Disney film G-Force. So I was complete <laughs> sceptic. So our whole podcast is based around Callum introducing me 
to the weird, wonderful world of Nicolas Cage. And I have to say, I am slowly coming around to the idea that he might he might be a genius. He might be a creature from another world. I haven't made up my mind yet. If you <laughs> shout loud enough for long enough, it will it will work out good. I think that's kind of the the thesis that we've got going on here. It's, uh, well, well, it's, it's interesting to have a, a couple on the podcast because when I started this podcast, I was in a relationship and I'm now a single man, uh, which uh, may, may, may tell you what, what delving too deep into the Nicholas Cage uh, rabbit hole can do. But um, We're on the edge, mate. We're on the edge. Yeah, any of our listeners <laughs> will testify that, uh, that I'm pretty sure our season finale is going to be us divorcing. Like, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah I had the I had the stark realization the other day that like any girl I've dated whilst doing this podcast I may have just ruined Nicolas Cage for them because they would just be like I remind me of that guy Do you know what I, mean? like, that guy I always talked about like that seeing all the buses with massive talent on the side of them like, oh fucking Petros like ah oh. uh, we went on a couple of dates but all he fucking talked about was Nick Cage like uh, yeah so that's my that's my i don't know my mark on their lives unfortunately not that not not, not that i was a i don't know uh a, a charming man and a, and a and a dynamite dynamite in the sack it's that i was uh i was just the nick cage guy uh on that note a man who probably is dynamite in the sack daryl edge let, let, let us know <laughs> why did why didn't i get that intro hey <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just wanted to make Daryl feel awkward as well. Why did you start a Nicolas Cage podcast, Daryl? What an incredible introduction and assumption um, that <laughs> I don't think anyone would agree with. Um, why Nicolas? <laughs> Nicolas Cage has been someone who I, um, I think maybe definitely in my teens, I think there's a bit of ironic fandom of Nicolas Cage, but it's kind of, as I've grown up, it's kind of blossomed into a genuine passion for the man, and I fucking love him. He's he's insane. I love him. Um, I do sincerely think um, he is the greatest actor of this generation. On my podcast, I call him the Golden Hog of Hollywood uh, because he's one a twenty-four carat man. And um, I, if he ever hears this, I have no reason to assume he doesn't have a solid gold dick. Um, I. <laughs> I think he's, I think he's incredible. Um, I know when I started this, it was similar reasons during lockdown. I'd been let go at the time, so I just needed something to do, and this seemed like a good idea, and it stuck for two years. Um, I did try to get my partner to do like a, a similar thing as sort of like, oh, introduce you to like Cage films, which is like, I'm literally a teacher. I have a career. Don't drag me into this, which is like. <laughs> Okay, fair, fair enough. Um, but it's taken two years since starting the podcast, at least. I finally got to watch Con Air and Face Off as well. So baby steps, people. Baby steps. The conversion is coming. Uh, it's funny you mentioned your girlfriend's a teacher because I work in a school. And <laughs> when, I recent, when, I, when I went to the press screening of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, I had to like, uh, put in a form to like the reason why I was leaving early. And that's like the first time it ever slipped that like I kind of moonlight as this Nicolas Cage podcaster. And like they were like, you're going to a press screening. Like, and like the demographic of the people who work there are kind of like, I don't know, like early 40s mums. They were like, are you, 
are you famous? I was like, <laughs> I am certainly not. I am on no list. Like there is no, like when, yeah, if, if, if there's a, if there's like a, a Z list way below that, do you know what I mean? I'm kind of like way below, I'm, I'm nobody. I was like, the closest thing is people I don't know might listen to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> do your students know about it? Um, Are you like getting roasted daily for having a podcast? <laughs> no, no, my sh- no. The students at the school don't know about it, which is probably for the best. Because yeah, I would be <laughs> mocked. Uh... Absolutely, that is the best way to keep this. Is yeah, it's, I have it's, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just us five and our dirty little secret that we've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like the, the, the the students at my school don't even know that I have. I have tattoos and I'm a heavily tattooed man. I'm kind of constantly like, I don't know, I'm like a Japanese businessman, like always in long sleeves. And then I'm, I've got like a full body suit of tattoos, like I'm a Yakuza. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get into the chat about the unbearable weight of massive talent. But before we do that, let's have a little listen to the trailer. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor. No. What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and myth-making. Ah, fuck, man. I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry. One more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig ever. You play yourself. What do we know about this guy anyway? Is he into something strange? It's not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife. I wouldn't think so. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to, uh... Claim Javi. Nick Cage. God, this place is stunning. What is your favorite movie? That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. You can't just limit it to one. Imagine me and you. I do. Is it too much? Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. Position. I think that's the actor Nick Cage. Nick Cage? I love you. Have you seen Croods too? I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Croods too? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. What do you guys want? We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government. Let's kill this love. Find a way into that room, Nick. I see myself doing more of this stuff. I think I might have a real gift for it. Good, because we got another mission for you. No, 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 no. Your friend is working for the U.S. government. Don't lie to me. Are those my golden guns? They're my golden guns. I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. I'm Nick fucking...
The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is directed by Tom Gormican and written by Tom Gormican and Kevin Etten. The film obviously stars Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, and Sharon Horgan, and Millie Mo Sheen. So, who wants to jump on the grenade and give us a plot synopsis for this film? Don't all jump at once. <laughs> it's Nicolas Cage playing a cartoon version of himself. And it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect in every way. I mean, it, when this was announced, I mean, I've got a thing where I, they all take the piss out of me for, not, for doing this. I mean, it, funny fact, it was the first time the three of us have ever watched a film together as well. So we all went to this. Um, and I did a thing for the trailer for um, Doctor Strange, and I did this thing where I can pop my ears so I can't hear anything, and the trailer's ruined things for me. So I kind of was doing this with my head down, and they were all laughing at me. And I, because I hadn't seen the trailer for this either, I went in completely blind, other than knowing just the, the fact that he was playing himself. The fact that it then goes into the whole CIA, and the fact that there's a, a kidnap plot as well, and everything else, and that he's a gangster, I had no clue about. So I went into this with no, I mean, I'm guessing like a, a lot of people will be completely bamboozled by everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was all the, all the better for it because I come out of this and I couldn't get the smile off my face for days. It was brilliant. I know exactly how you feel. Uh, what about you, Callum and Chelsea? Like, what were your kind of expectations for this film? Had you watched the trailer? What, what, were, you, what were you expecting before you went in? So we had watched the trailer. I think we, we, so we, during lockdown, we got um, very, uh, we, we very much missed going to the cinema. So we started getting into a trend where I would compile YouTube playlists of upcoming trailers and play them before <laughs> putting a DVD on in wow. the house. With that view announcement that's like, close your eyes, enjoy the darkness, that kind of shit. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> and, I recommend um, it to everyone. It's a great little practice that we've continued on and it just it just makes like watching a Blu-ray at home feel much more enjoyable. So we'd seen the trailer in, in one of those situations. But other than that, I think we tried to kind of do a similar thing to you, Stu, and kind of try to not read into it too much or find out too much about it. Um, so my expectations were like, oh, I hope this is, I, I, I knew I would enjoy it as a Cage fan. I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a good time. It's got a good cast. It seems like a fun premise. But the question for me was, is this going to be like a, is it going to be a proper film? Or is it just going to be like a mm. bit of, a bit of Nick Cage sort of self-flagellation, like, oh, oh, what a fun meme he is. And I am pleased to report that I believe this is a proper film. It's a proper <laughs> film with stakes and emotion and context and character and development and all the things that you want from a film. I liked it. But it also does have all them other things as well. Exactly. I mean, that's, what, that's what makes it even better. It has, it has its cake and it eats it. Like, it, it, yeah. What about you, Chelsea, as a, as a kind of recent um, Nicolas Cage convert? How, like, what were your kind of expectations for it? Were they were they were they lower? Were they higher? I don't know. I don't know the breadth of the work you've seen of his. Yeah, no. Again, I I think I went in with low expectations. We've seen a wide range of wild shit from Cage, and also 
the very the very dull I need to pay off my bills stuff. Um, so I think there were definitely some references that went right over my head. There was a lot of me doing that annoying boyfriend shit of like whispering in the cinema when you go to see an MCU movie, being like, so that happened in in the first <laughs> Doctor Strange film. Like there was a lot of me going, oh, so um, so that's the, the big axe from Mandy. Do you remember that big axe from Mandy? <laughs> like there was a lot of that from me. Yeah. See those pampers, that's from Raising Arizona. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly that for me. But I mean... Um... I really, I enjoyed it too. And I, uh, I'm i a writer by trade. So I very much enjoyed the script and was appreciative of the fact that there was a story to it and it was coherent and it was fun. And yeah, I mean, dual personality Nicolas Cage is, that's how I'm going to think of him as a real person from now on. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a... He's constantly batting, battling that Terry Wogan interview version of himself forever. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. That's, that a, that's was, the world I was. I came when when we came out of the screening. I was trying not to fall down the escalators while typing furiously like my notes into my phone app. <laughs> and and the top thing is is just the phrase Terry Wogan all caps lock <laughs> because I was so happy to see that that look was his his inner cage was yes, yeah. the Terry Wogan cartwheeling, coked off his fucking mind cage. <laughs> <laughs> Solid what, what choice. About your, what about yourself, Daryl? Obviously, like, we, we, we've got a pretty unique, I don't know, well, it's not unique because we both share it, but we have a, a shared experience of being sneaking in somewhat to a, to a, to a, a national press screening of this film and kind of yeah getting to see it early like what were your expectations for the film though beforehand um I, I know it's something that we had sort of um ended up talking about before because this is like the first time cage has had like a mainstream film released in 10 or so years so i know certainly from my own perspective i was looking at this like from the position of a concerned parent watching their child go to school for the first time and was like, is he, is he going to be all right? My, that's my baby. That's something you hurt my baby. Um, but it was, it was, I think there's all that trepidation of like, oh, he's back in, in front of a lot of eyes again. This isn't a DVD film. This isn't one that we're going to talk about like, like a pig or a Joe in saying like, this should have won all the awards. And um, I think that there could be a shout that it could get some contention. I think it could be in there. A lot of people seem to enjoy it. Um, but I was expecting it to be sort of like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like pointing and like, oh, there's a reference I understand. There's a reference I understand. Um, and then also it was kind of like, you know, we're kind of sat in that, we've wormed our way into this press screening, both feeling like absolute imposters, like we yeah. we should not be here. I, I had a mo. I had a moment where like they they didn't quite hear my name, and I was like, "Oh, it's, it's Petros Patsilvas." So like, oh, "Excuse me," and I was like, "This is it. This is when a big burly man comes and grabs me on the shoulders <laughs> and be like, no, you're not. It's not for you, boy.'" And like slings me out into Leicester Square, and I'm just kind of like crying into a muck plant, being like, "Why? Why they told me I was allowed in?" Which. And we then, checked ourselves in like Oliver Twist going, please, sir, may I have some cage? And then someone going, cage! <laughs> um, <laughs> and we, there's all these, like, I don't know, quote, big air quotes, like influencers there who had, you know, just left like a photo op and stuff. And I was like, I covered this man for two years. Where's my op? God damn it. That's, <laughs> that's the only sort of, like, uh, flare of stardom I've ever felt. And then we just kind of sat down quietly. I was like, 
if I don't move, then no one can see me and no one can kick me out. Um, but then also as part of me was like looking around at people from Love Island going like, I deserve this. Um, <laughs> so it, was, it almost felt like my inner Nicky moment coming out as well. Um, so <laughs> in short, a lot of emotion is what I felt going into this. Yeah, it, it, definitely. I think I think one of my big takeaways from that from that uh, press screening was the fact that they said, "Go through to the screen and help yourself to the free bar," and I was like, a working class kid from Crawley, like that that part of me kind of awoke, and I was like, "Free bar, yes, please." <laughs> and I think that that might have added to my enjoyment and being in like a packed out screening for the film because I've seen this film three times now, and my kind of experience like since i went to an unlimited screening of it and then went to just a a regular screening on like a tuesday evening and (laughs) i kind of understand what directors and kind of filmmakers say when they be like oh like the first time i watched it with an audience like i was really nervous and i think like the, the the general public showings i've been to it's been like that i've kind of been like looking around the room because i know what's coming being like Oh, how how are the audience going to react? And I'm like, why do I feel like this? It's like, I, I I did not, I didn't make the film. I just like, I I just, I don't know. I'm four, yeah, four plus years into like covering the man that I'm just like so invested that I've become a fucking mad like madman in the fact that I'm like sitting in cinemas being like, please like it, please like it. <laughs> I know, it, it's exactly the same thing. So I think knowing some of the jokes that were coming up, part of me was like, I've only seen it twice. But then on the second time, part of me was kind of looking around and going like, like a meerkat just looking for those laughs. And then <laughs> do that. Like I went with my partner to see it. It was funny. He was doing that classic thing. Um, just shy of being like an MCU splainer, which I also am unashamedly, but, but sort of like looking to my left and going like, did you laugh as well? Um, <laughs> it's an oh, affliction that coming. affects all of us white men. It, it, it just is. <laughs> I, I don't think. I, I don't think we'll ever get over it. It's a sickness. <laughs> it's a sickness, and it runs deep in our veins. I, I think my girlfriend's main note was like when Pedro, and obviously we'll get into this. When Pedro Pascal came in, she just turned to me and she went, "That's you." And I was like, "I know. I've, I've, I've finally <laughs> been represented." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, let's 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 talk about the film and talk about aspects of it that that you all liked. So yeah, let's let's start with you, uh, Chelsea and Callum. Like, what what were the things that you enjoyed about the unbearable weight of massive talent? Um, I I mean I I would I would say my my number one favorite thing about the film was that um, Paddington Two finally got the respect <laughs> it fucking deserves. Yes, I have been on. I am I am a un, unironic genuine if 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 there were more films about Paddington uh, this would be a Paddington podcast for me I'm unequivocally <laughs> I, I have all the books I um I am a 30 year old grown man who sleeps with a Paddington teddy bear next to his bed in case um things get too stressful um <laughs> Paddington 2 is I am not joking the best film ever made end of the um so the fact that it finally got the respect it deserves on a mainstream platform made me so happy so happy i did a little like squeal 
like <laughs> like it was the reveal at the end of an MCU film after the credits that oh your favorite oh oh um I don't know the the Captain Coat Hanger is in the next MCU film and you squealed <laughs> I did that because Paddington Two got mentioned and that's what he liked about the film that was Job all done. I liked the rest was shit end of <laughs> the the three of us had a kind of yes moment as well it was almost like the um. When you had the when Tobey Maguire turned up, when he his first reveal <laughs> moment, it was it was kind of like that, but not as Americanized. It, it was the same thing. I mean, I, it wasn't so much. I mean, I'm I'm not on your level, Callum or Andy on on ours for Paddington Two Love. I mean, I I like the film more than any grown man should. Um, apart from ha- yeah, yeah, apart from Callum, <laughs> um, but it has kind of taken on this kind of best film ever kind of ethos from nowhere. And I've watched it again because he was in Coaster and he was constantly talking about it all the time. And I thought, you're probably right about this. This is a wonderful film. And then when he got mentioned in this, it was a, yes! Like, it's almost a, a moment of ownership that we are seen. Yes. Yeah, I felt seen. I felt seen. I imagine it's what countless people felt when, like, Black Panther finally appeared on screen. I felt seen. Oh, don't make that comparison. The five white people doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah. that is representation. Like, come on, Callum. You're going to drag this podcast into the dark. That's not where we want to be. I rescind the comment. It was a stupid (laughs) joke. I apologise. But, yeah, no, I... um, I, I, beyond that, I think um, the film shares a lot of the heart that a film like Paddington shares. And I think that was my major takeaway, is that actually at its heart, it, it's clearly, is a, it's basically a, a romantic comedy in the same way that a film like Hot Fuzz is a romantic comedy in that it's this like, quote unquote, bromance between these two gentlemen who are just in, really enjoy each other's company and then the obstacles that get placed in their way. And it just feels sweet and heartfelt and genuine, which a lot of these films that are kind of self-referential and meta quite often don't feel so heartfelt, I find. I mean, drop dropping clangers, I, I don't want to you know be too disparaging of other films, but say something like Ghostbusters Afterlife, it didn't work for me personally. It's like dropping all of these references. It felt a bit cynical and cloying, whereas this actually felt really genuine and respectful. And and it felt like it came from a place of genuine respect for the audience and the actor and everyone involved. Yeah, 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 definitely. Is there, is there like a particular scene? Obviously, Callum shouted out his love for um, Paddington too. What about you, Stu? Is there like specific scenes and moments that like really enjoyed about this film? Valley Girl. Valley Girl. I, lo- I have a kind of irrational love of that film. Um, and Is there the a reference f- to Valley Girl in this? Very, very slight. And it's, it's almost like, yeah. the, it's like the, um, it's kind of almost like the Wilgun-ish thing as well. But yeah. because, I mean, I've had the piss took out of me for two years for loving Valley Girl as much as I do, and I'm never going to watch the remake because why would I torture myself with it? Yes. The, um, but yeah, I think, like Callum was saying, the heart of it is amazing, and the fact that they get it, 
they completely get it and he's completely on board with it as well. And I've been watching like YouTube videos of him and, and clips where he's been doing the media circus tour, which he never normally does, obviously because he's been straight to DVD for 10 years. Um, and just getting the joke and being in on it and it working perfectly. I think this could have gone the other way and coming off the back of Pig as well, which I, I mean, trying to sell that film to, to people was almost impossible. And as soon as you say, oh, Nick Cage, I think, well, he's still working, which is kind of referenced in this as well. He never went away. Um, to come off that, which should have gone Oscar, let's be honest, to then do something like this, which is so self-referential and so kind of out there. I mean, we've got a kind of... An, on our, our podcast, we kind of do this thing, good, bad, and crazy. Uh-huh. And the, the crazy cage moments in this was spot on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, got, he gets it. He, he, he really, truly gets it. And I think that's why I loved it so much. And, I mean, the, going into it, and I think it was down to 96 on Rotten Tomatoes at that point, and for it to have been on 100% for five weeks, was it was like a sense of pride. <laughs> You know, the sense of you two, it was like, it's our baby now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it was still there, I went, look, look, mum, look, mother, it's still here. <laughs> you need to see this as well. And, um, but yeah, that and the bit where he, he finally gets into the, um, into the, the, what you think is the dungeon, and it's just his memorabilia there. <laughs> and you get all the nonsense that's on the wall and everything and on the shelves. That you think, yeah, we know where that's from, we know where that's from. Yeah, just really, really well done. And it, it was like, it, that, it's almost like the film was made for us. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's an interesting point, because yeah, yeah, something I'll, I'll, we'll delve into shortly is kind of how this works for maybe the, the non-initiated, the, mm. the, 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 the non-nickheads out there. But uh, let's, yeah, let, let, let's go to you, Daryl. What are the things you enjoyed about The Unbearable Boy of Massive Talent? I think, um, by and large, because it is uh, a love letter to Cage as well, it, it's the things we know about him, the things we love about him, the things we celebrate about him, you get those sort of play on the memification moments and then there's touches on his real lives. But um, it's a film that understands him and doesn't make a mockery of him. This isn't like an elongated, you know, 90 plus minute sketch about the man. And I think this is the largely the thing with a lot of cage films and, um, you will often find it in his 2010 sort of DVD stretch as well that there are a lot of times where there are directors who don't really know how to utilize him. He's he's uh you know he's he's the shiny Charizard of actors. You don't just get it out all the time. You've got to have some respect. <laughs> You've got to get that PSA approved and put in like a little case. Um, but what we had here with with Kevin and Tom Gummick and especially are two people who respect cage love cage understand cage and how to utilize him and it's it's almost like this film couldn't have been made at any other point in his career it's like no. and it's not just um i think it'd be disparaging to say like oh this is just the greatest hits of cage this is like a best of this there's elements of that in there as well but there's a lot for maniacs like us that the cage initiated the cage fans I think there's enough in here as well that it serves its purpose as a film that you don't need to have seen every Nicolas Cage film to enjoy as well. There's a lot to enjoy. Um, and then, um, as I've, I've touched on elsewhere, but this this film was made, uh, I think, a Pedro Pascal stand out of me as well. I think I'm, I'm, I'm on the... I, I'm on the <laughs> welcome, welcome. I'm on the Pascal train. I liked him in, like, 
Game of Thrones and Narcos and The Mandalorian. But now, um, you know, I might start like a Twitter stan account for him. Now knowing that he searches himself online as well. I I recently saw there's a podcast out there and I'm kind of jealous just because it's the perfect name for a podcast called Podro Pascal. Yes. Oh, oh, like what a what a great nabbing of a of a name. Yeah, Podro Pascal. Like hats off to you guys. Like Mm. uh, I I will be listening just for the sheer like getting there first and nabbing that name. Like, (laughs) Like. Pedro Pascal in this is great, and it's amazing to see him in interviews, like saying how much of a Nicolas Cage fan he is. Like, I, the the what my biggest like bugbear is nobody's really like tested him on it, like in interviews. Like I really like, uh, like <laughs> I was there like like when I was talking to the PR people about the film, I was like, go speak to Pedro because I really like my 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 like angle was like I really just want to nerd out with him and find out like. Like, how much of a Nick Cage fan are you? Do you know what I mean? Are you just gonna go, are you just gonna like spout out things that are in this film? Like, yeah, I really love guarding Tess, and then he goes into that speech he delivers at, at his birthday party. Or something. <laughs> yeah. like, You're lying to me, Pedro, or is he gonna kind of go in there and like go into something a bit more obscure? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's there's a certain moment in The Boy in Blue where he does something, and it's like it's transcendent or racing with the moon is just like oh that that opened my eyes to to uh, to a whole different world of acting or something like that but yeah that th- their chemistry together i think is 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 perfect it kind of it really reminded me of yeah i've said this on another podcast but i said it like to friends as well is it reminded me of, like the 21 jump street movies in the way that like mm. they were kind of the the last big kind of action comedies for adults that like were like were, were really funny and the chemistry between those two leads mm. worked really well and it was just so good i don't know on that level i think this film is great in that yeah i don't think you have to have seen every nick cage film but like it helps do you know what i mean it definitely helps in parts there's only like there were moments even in a kind of cine literate audience uh, the press screening there was like me and daryl were kind of like the only two to be like looking at each other being like are they referencing guarding test right now like, what what the fuck's going on he just said captain corelli's mandolin what <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think that's a that's a charity shop staple isn't it that's kind of the mum's sunday pick Captain Corelli's. Remember, I, but that's where the, that's where they are in charity shops, though, because no one ever buys them. You just see them stacking up, and they it, bought them once upon a time, yeah. <laughs> and then they sent them back after his accent. Um, but yeah, that's it. I think with Pedro Pascal, I think he is. He just seemed to be a massive nerd anyway, and he's like he's like one of us. I mean, all the interviews I've seen of him, a lot of them are in that pink jumper, and you think you're not really. Selling yourself, oh yeah, you just turning up and you're doing what you want. And I mean, even in, he was probably the best thing about Wonder Woman 1984 as well, which isn't saying much, but even so, he was great in that. Well, and let's, it, let's shout out the fact that he said one of his inspirations for that was Nicolas Cage's performance in Vampire's mm-hmm. Kiss. Yep. So, like, like the, 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 the blood of Cage runs deep in Pedro Pascal's veins. Yeah, he is yeah. one of us. He is not a chancer. He's also. <laughs> like a fantastic comedic performer which wasn't something that i knew 
as a sort of a casual, I sort of dipped in and out of the of the Pascal pot, and and I wasn't aware that he was he was. We watched we watched an awful film called The Bubble on Netflix, which I wouldn't recommend. Oh, it's not particularly Jesus. good, but but he is a little sort of glimmer in that film of someone who's actually really naturally a very good comedic actor. And, and, and this solidifies that as, as a truth. I would love to see him do more goofy things and, and, and more comedic stuff in the future. Cause he's great. And obviously as well, Cage has been in a very uncomedic place for a very long time with his work. So it was really nice to see him be properly funny again and yeah. be and allowed to be goofy and allowed to do funny shit again because he's not been doing that for for a long while yeah 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 definitely it's kind of um and i don't know like people have laughed at him but it feels like the kind of the the like mainstream audiences haven't laughed with him for a long time and there are there are there are, there is stuff like even a film like between worlds like as much as that film isn't the best in the world he's having fun and it's death there's definitely a like a black comedy edge to that that film so yeah there's little pepperings of comedy but it's good to see him kind of in an out and out comedy like which absolutely this very much is um but let's yeah let before we before we start to wrap up our conversation on the unbearable weight of massive talent um let's talk about the supporting cast for this because i think like without Without the kind of, I don't know, supporting players in this, it could easily fall down, and it's and and I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but could be overshadowed by that bromance between Nick and and Harvey. So yeah, what what do you think of the kind of Neil Patrick Harris's, the Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, and uh, Lily Moshin and Sharon Horgan kind of performances in this film? What about yourself, Daryl? Um, I think the supporting cast. I, I think. You know, this is the Cage and Pascal show. Make no, make no bones about it. Because uh, in the two, two times I've seen it, you know, the the LSD scene of them driving through and talking about the movie and running away and climbing over the wall gets got a huge reception every time. Um, I think Neil pa- Patrick Harris, sort of Tiffany Haddish, Ike Bernholtz, um are people I've been a bit, I suppose, a bit indifferent on. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, I think, is fine in the limited time he's on screen. Um, I think. It usually gets a laugh when he's getting beaten with that thing on the massage table at the start. Um, I think he's kind of there to serve a purpose to sort of get Cage from A to B to get him to Pascal. Um, I'll admit I wasn't expecting much from like Tiffany Haddish and Ike Bernholtz, and I think they do really good jobs as the uh, the CIA agents. I think they're very entertaining. Um, there's that bit where and uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish's character is walking out of the airport. I think Ike is saying something like, um, oh, we can't have a repeat of Spain. And she's like, oh, like, fuck Spain. She's like, oh, that was loud. And then that, that got a, a good laugh as well. Um, you kind of wish there was a, there was like a bit more of them in some aspects, although I'm kind of okay with what we got. Um, but I think really in terms of the supporting players for me, it was uh, Lily Moshin and Sharon Horgan did the, like an excellent job i think lily mo sheen is um relatively new in the acting pantheon what i'd ask word to say the pantheon of acting i felt like a dickhead saying that um (laughs) but she was great just brought like um some pathos like some i think like some 
genuine emotion, like, and added to the stakes of Nick trying to this duality of Nick the family man versus Nick the actor. Um, and Sharon Hogan is usually great. I think, you know, for your British viewer, you, you've definitely seen Sharon Hogan in so many things. Um, and she was great. Um, they played off each other really well. And I like that she got more to do in the film. She was part of the disguise plot and infiltrating, like, the, the big castle at the end. Um, I like that it wasn't just a throwaway thing that Nick met his wife on the set of Captain Corelli's Mandolin. They sort of had a purpose for that as well. Um, yeah. So... Shout out to Lily and Sharon. He's my he's my big takeaway. On your point of Lily Moshin, she's got she's got acting bones, right? Her parents are Kate Beckinsale and uh, and uh, what's his name, uh, Michael Sheen. Yeah. So she's she, she, she's kind of born to be thrust into the world of acting. Another another child of child of nepotism, like 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 Nick himself uh, being being nephews to Francis Ford Coppola. Um, interesting to know from a kind of writer's standpoint Chelsea like how you felt about the kind of I don't know that framing of the kind of all he really wants is to kind of reconcile with his daughter is that kind of is that a hack is that a hack kind of thing to do in writing or is it does it work in this film I think it's it's something to really focus on you need to give your character a strong drive a, a thing that they desperately want and then you give them obstacles so they can't get it. So it's satisfying when they do get it. So I think the film does that really well. And um, like Callum had with the Paddington 2 moment, I had a big, the same joyous moment when Sharon Horgan popped up because I didn't know she was going to be there. So I was just sitting there going, <laughs> she's in this. This is going to be great. And I'm really glad. I mean, to put my feminist hat on for a moment, a lot of the times in these films, the woman, the wife, is there to, to object to the fun and to say, don't do mm. that thing. And while she does do a bit of that, I was very glad to see she got involved in the plot at the end. I think that was a really fun move and that she was given a skill that allows her to do that. So I was very happy from my perspective. De definitely. Yeah, I think the, the element of it as well that she kind of, calls him out on his shit as well and it's not, yeah. like to, it's not to stop the fun it's to kind of i don't know almost like a audience surrogate of like he is he is uh, he's unbearable do you know what i mean he's unbearable <laughs> as a man his kind of head is buried in scripts he's kind of i think he's classic 90s movie dad as well do you know what i mean that kind of archetype of like i don't know uh robin williams in hook or he uh, is like I, businesswoman in a Hallmark movie who's going back to her small town for Christmas. Or just like any film where it's like, ah, oh, dad, you didn't turn up to my soccer game. Like, the, it's kind of like the, the comparisons between this and Jingle All the Way are, are only just <laughs> coming to me and they are astounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he's not turning up to the karate tournament. He's kind of, I'm busy in the office. <laughs> um, what about you Shane? did you think of the kind of supporting players in this i think it's going to be a a three-way all, all ticks around for sharon hogan i thought she the rest were just other than a, a few like the the cia stuff which i mentioned earlier there was i didn't i didn't expect so it was kind of it was a shock when it happened but i think she absolutely nailed it i think she was she was the best of the whole supporting cast i mean even 
a lot of the scenes, not so much with the, the makeup stuff at the end, a lot of it early on in the house and like when he's <laughs> that ridiculous birthday song at the piano and it's like, oh, fuck's sake. Just a, re a, re a reaction. Sunrising, sunrising. Yeah. Just her, her reaction to it just seems so so natural, and you think, yeah, maybe it's a kind of another one of our she's one of ours kind of thing that we we know her from a lot of things, and she's excelling at where others are not. But yeah, I just thought she was wonderful, and it, it kind of played back to even though they're not together in this, there's a, a lot of mom and dad in it where the um, the parents in there are obviously very much in love, but these two you can kind of see. Uh, how much she hates him as well for all these nonsense that he's put her through over the years. Yes. Yeah, I thought she was wonderful. What about uh, Paco Leon as the ultimate big bad in this film as well? Like, <laughs> did, did 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 we all see that coming? Like, he's kind of he look he looks like a, a an on screen baddie, right? He's kind of bleached blonde hair and kind of disparaging from moment one. I think his like opening line to Nick Cage is like. How does it feel to not be like in in good movies anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost like eighty like late eighties level movie bad guy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think this is a, it's it's kind of got a lot of a lot of those like forty eight hours and Beverly Hills Cop that kind of eighties like action comedy bromance kind of thing. There's a lot of that in this, which I mean I love those films, and we've had a we've been starved of them for years. So I think this is. It's almost like the natural heir to that kind of genre that just went away for no reason. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, they, uh, has everyone got that message? Yeah, I just saw it. Uh, hold out. I thought they, yeah, I thought they were being very still. Disconnected. Audio back on. We're back. Sorry, you're back. They're back in the room. They're back in the room. So let's yeah, let's kind of talk about like the kind of the end of this film, and obviously like the meta aspects of it that kind of run throughout. And this, I, 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 I kind of on kind of second, third viewing, I kind of heard people going like, "What the fuck's going on now?" That moment when it kind of cuts from like the true story of what happened in Mallorca to then cutting to Demi Moore and uh, <laughs> Anna McDonald as the kind of movie Addy. Like, what do, you, what, what do you kind of, like, think, guys, to that aspect of the seeding throughout of, like, the film talking about the film that it is and kind of talking about the nature of cinema that we have today, like, this kind of references to... You can't get something off the ground unless it's a Marvel movie or a franchise picture. Yeah, what did like what what did you kind of think about that aspect of the film? What did you kind of think of the the wrap up to it? Uh, let's start with you, Darren. I remember like the first time watching it when it sort of went it, uh, the sort of burst through the embassy and that jeep to being pursued by the baddies and stuff, and then. There's a knife throw, and then Nick Cage turns around, stabs and screams, and then suddenly it's Demi Moore. And I was, when I was watching it, I was kind of like, I, of all people, cannot show any kind of weakness, and I need to support this 110%. Don't let anyone know that you're a bit confused. Um, so I was, I was a little bit confused when it happened. Um, I remember seeing, like, months ago, there was pictures from the set that emerged that showed Demi Moore was 
on set for the movie, and I kind of forgotten all about that up until this point. And then it transitions into that sort of audience, and it 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 turns out this is the, this is the film they've been talking about. Um, so we've basically seen the real life version of this play out, and we um, sort of spoke about this on another podcast, and it was very adaptation in that sense that it, it turns out you're actually you're watching the film be written and made as it's progressing along as well. Um, is it sort of a stylistic adaptation? Not necessarily, but I don't think it needs to be. Um, but I think as well, more films should end with Nicolas Cage's character winning awards. What a feel-good moment for everyone. What yeah. about yourself, Stu? I'd, um, I said to Matt at the time, I said, other than adaptation, because I think Andy brought that up as well, it, it reminded me a bit of the, like, the film within a film thing of Tick, Tick, Boom, which I'd watched like a few months earlier um, on Netflix, which was so superb anyway. Um, but again, it was one of them things trying to explain that the concept of Tick, Tick, Boom to anyone. It's a, oh, it's a film, but it's based on a, it's based on a show that's a film. And it, it, I, I think we were all in the, exactly the same situation, Daryl. I think none of us could have said, oh, we know what's happening here. <laughs> this is exactly what we expected. Um, it was one of them moments where you just think, okay, something either something's happened here or something is about to happen that's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> but actually, neither of them happened, and it was really, really well done. And I, it was almost sweet in a way. Yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, this is what you should have got with a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I think it was beautiful as well. Like, I, I couldn't help but think about a version of this film that starred Bruce Willis. Do you know what I mean? Like, kind of, <laughs> like a, a, a vehicle geared towards him, especially like Demi Moore popping up on screen. And that felt like perfect casting as well. Like, who was kind of like her, her and Bruce for years have had this kind of blended family thing where they're kind of separated, but still like hang out with all the kids and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, it, it, it kind of felt like his real life almost, like the way that like Nick and uh, Sharon Horgan's character and his daughter kind of like at the end of the film, are all like hanging out um how did you feel callum when we got the kind of reveal at the end that the film that uh addy wants to watch is paddington 2 kind of <laughs> doubly elated absolutely i was so glad to hear that that wasn't just a throwaway gag that it was it was the whole point of the fucking movie which paddington <laughs> <two>. <laughs> the whole point of the movie is Paddington 2. It's about sitting down and listening to your family and not being um, like, ultimately, the, the whole point of the family story is that it's about sharing your your situations and your culture with each other and not dictating it and telling people what you like and what they should like. So I, I was so happy to see Paddington 2 back at the end of the film. That's Absolutely. a really interesting point because uh, I, I've got like a young son and I'm I'm separated from his mum. So like I have this aspect of, I don't know, and we, we kind of have that, not not the exact same relationship as this. I don't know, she probably would call me out on my bullshit. Like if I, if I, if I was doing something, sometimes I, I like say, oh, I, 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 I got this guest on the podcast. So I kind of see her looking at that kind of same dead-eyed look that Sharon Horgan gives Nick in this. I'm like, 
<laughs> Stop fucking talking about your podcast and what you're doing. Let's talk about our son. And like, I get to say, I, I, can't, I, I can't help myself, but I found that ending really sweet. And it's like, I don't know, that kind of, you long for that, that those moments of just being able to share things with people you love. And it is that thing of like, I don't know, obviously Nick has that visceral reaction to watching Paddington too, but just being able to share, even if it's something you don't like, just sharing it with people that you love, whether it is romantically, platonically, the family connection is just great. And I think like it's such a beautiful note to end the film on, kind of, yeah, wraps it up, like you said, in a, in a, in a, in a beautiful bow and kind of, I don't know, you almost not forget about the kind of whole meta aspect about it, but like you very much buy into the character of Nick Cage that is portrayed in this film by the end of it. It's kind of like, what a, what a, what a, well, like things are going to be all right for this guy. Do you know what I mean? It's going to be vastly different to the real Nick Cage. Like obviously it's going to be swell for that guy, but it's in a different way. But yeah, at the end of it, I'm like, oh, Nick's okay. And his family unit are okay. So, so I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a lovely sort of it kind of has like really nice season finale episode vibes at the end. Yeah. That kind of that lovely image of like sitcom characters leaving their set and turning off the light switch as the kind of the camera pulled out at the end of their apartment. I it just was it was it was a lovely fuzzy warm feeling inside. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So guys, do we have any wrap up thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent before we really make some enemies between us and talk about our top five Nicolas Cage films. Daryl, what are your kind of final thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent? Uh, you know, a, a lot of thoughts. I mean, one is obviously at the time of recording the, the, the classic hashtag film Twitter discourse. We're always complaining. There's no new original movies. You have the unbearable weight of massive talent. This is what you asked for. Go out and support it. Um, Two, you know, obviously there there was that trepidation going into it that this could be a lot of things. Are they going to get it right? And I think uh, Kevin Etten and Tom Gormican nailed it. This is just a, a, just again, a love letter to Cage. It's a celebration of movies. It's an endorsement of Paddington 2. It's just, it's it's everything that you want and more. Um, And I think pressingly, one of the, the vital messages and I suppose one that's probably a bit too relevant to Nicolas Cage podcast, especially, is that Nicolas Cage is back. Not that he went anywhere. <laughs> what about yourself, Stu? Any any final <laughs> thoughts on the film? Absolutely spot on that was. And, and I mean, they should never be final thoughts on this film because it, it should just live forever, which I think it, it, it's got every chance of doing there because it, it's, I've yet to meet someone who doesn't like it. And that's from people who don't particularly like Nicolas Cage, which even though, well, why would you go and see this? But, you know, I've spoke to people, same ones I tried to convince to watch Pig. Some listened to me, some didn't. But this has got so much universal, and like I mentioned earlier about the Rotten Tomato score, it's got so much universal praise from so many different people, so many different walks of life. And it is a film for everyone. And, I mean, I was speaking to um, one of the, my friends on when we went up to Burnley at the weekend, and she was like, oh, she goes to the cinema with her friends and stuff, and she's a, she's in her fifties, 
Um, so group of group of women in their fifties give to for a film night together, a few glasses of wine and whatever. And she was like, "Oh well, we're going to go and watch the ambulance or whatever from a few weeks ago." And um, which I love Michael Bay because it's 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 stupid shit. Eh? We all we all know exactly what it is. Let's um, not talk about ambulance because I will talk <laughs> for. Five I, hours solid. <laughs> I absolutely adored that fucking film. I haven't watched it yet. This is the thing. I was, I was going to watch it, but then my son, my son was off school, so I've, I've waited the whole of Easter. I was going to go. Now it's been took off, so I'm going to have to get it through other means now, and that's that's my plan for tomorrow night. It's set in stone. Um, but yeah, so I was speaking, I was speaking to her. And I said because yeah, she was like, oh, look, uh, just a fun film to watch. I went, go and watch this, and I was like, what's it called? I mean, the one with Nicolas Cage in oh everyone's talking about that one exactly they are for a reason and I think that's that's the best thing to say that people are talking about this for good reasons alone that it's a good film he's great in it Pedro's amazing everyone's great Chelsea Callum what are your kind of final thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent yeah I think we are witnessing history with this film lads I think we're seeing the beginning of a mainstream cage renaissance with the embracing of the meme culture of cage as a man making original movies again with fun concepts that don't have to lecture you about the world and hopefully can distract us from the void that we live in <laughs> and i think i think cage is becoming a transcendent transcendental being wow <laughs> That would have been much more impressive if I'd nailed the word the first time. <laughs> I'm sure David Lynch will be will be will be happy that he's transcendental. He's he's he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's all about that transcendental life. Yeah, Cage is entering a new plane of existence, and I think we're all lucky to witness it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I mean, my my major takeaway that I wanted to add as like a final thought is how happy I was to see this in a cinema with people. Yes, Not yes. only that <laughs> yeah. we've spent so long without being able to see Cage in a cinema, but also, like you said, Daryl, seeing an, like having a weekend at the cinema like this, where we got to see Unbearable Weight, we got to see The Northman, we've got like Ambulance, we've got... Um, everything, 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 everywhere, all at once coming out. We've got like a real wealth of original stuff coming out, so it's great uh -huh. to be able to see it all. Yeah, that 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 it really puts like a squash on that argument of like they don't make films like they used to. It's like mm. we're kind of in a in a sea of it at the moment, and it's kind of like constantly. That's all I see on Twitter is people coming out of these films. Like, oh, they don't make films like they used to. It's like. You just watched one. You just, you just, like, like, yeah. Jeremy, you just watched a a action comedy geared towards adults. You've just watched a kind of fantasy like Viking epic. You've just watched Michael Bay throwing drones around for two and a half hours with Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal like playing coked up madness and Yaya Abdul Mateen the second being an absolute diamond uh, yeah 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 let's not let's not make this the ambulance pod because as i said i will <laughs> i will derail this very very quickly um yeah i echo everything you guys have said about the film and i just it's one that i think like yeah like you said Stu, it's gonna live forever and i think from speaking to the guys who, who made this film it was like there was a lot of like 
riskier decisions that were kind of shot and kind of uh, ended up on the cutting room floor because I guess they, I don't know, went for that mainstream, uh, mainstream appeal. And it's kind of like you hats off to them for doing that. And I, I like that this could be a, a hit. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, been a, it's been a long while since we've had a Nicolas Cage hit like that isn't just kind of people chin stroking on Twitter being like, ooh, pig, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it's such a shame. The fact that, like, the man on the street is going to go in and be like, let's go watch this film. It's referencing Con Air. It's referencing Face Off. Like, yes, please, give me a slice of that action. And I think, um, I don't know, I feel... Yeah, I feel a real sense of pride about this film. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, uh, if if you've listened this far and you haven't seen it, fucking nutter. <laughs> but, uh, go, 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 go out and see it. So uh, yeah, that's kind of wrap up on the unbearable weight of massive talent. I think I might put a clicker in for every time I've said the unbearable weight of massive talent. I feel like I've said it a lot. So um, let's take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about Top five Nicolas Cage films. We're back to talk about top five Nicolas Cage films. The way we're going to do this is we're going to circle round the group, and between each uh, pick, we are going to read out what is the listener top five. So we're going to start at five, obviously work down to one. And if anyone has something that's on their list, that's on someone else's list. So say for instance, one of Daryl's five happens to be Stu's free. We will kind of discuss the film uh, briefly when we get to that film in Stu's list. Don't tell us what number it is at that point. We'll kind of, We'll add a little bit of suspense for everyone. Uh, but yeah, let's kind of hash this out. So let's start with you, Callum and Chelsea. What is your top, what is your number five Nicolas Cage film? Number five is one of my personal favourites, mainly for vibes. It's Moonstruck. Ooh. Does this appear on anyone else's list, first of all, before we kind of delve into Moonstruck? No. <gasps> Ouch. All right. What is it what is it you love about Moonstruck? I mean, guys? I'm not gonna lie, for me it's mainly for the share. We we when we did Moonstruck, we ended up talking about the infamous share um rendition of West Side Story, which was a TV special she did where she played every single role in West Side Story. We did a special bonus episode about that clip and it ended up becoming our most popular episode that we've ever done. Um, don't know why, but it did. So maybe we should just be a share podcast. But um, Moonstruck, we both just thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a it's a lovely rom com with some great performances in it and the solid gold line. I lost my wife. I lost my hand. It's got everything. He has his wife. He has his hand. It's, it can't get better than that. It's got share. It's got um, some fantastic accents. It's got. Nicolas Cage being a kind of a weird wolf man with a wooden hand. It's great. Yeah, I saw you guys post about the fact that um, Cher did this version of West Side Story, which, to be honest, looks mental. But I, I, I always say about like Moonstruck, I, the thing I love about it is 
Cher and Nicolas Cage's like, you know, chemistry in it. It's just that constant thing of you don't know whether they're going <laughs> to fight at any moment. And I'm, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know if it speaks to a kind of Mediterranean uh, blood in my veins that it kind of likes like, yeah. I understand. I understand Ronnie. I understand like sharing uh, this film. Like, I, 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 it's I it's it. a really weird toxic relationship that they present in the film that is also incredibly genuine and really easy and great to invest in as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those weird ones like that feels like a film, and yeah, we, we've kind of said it on this podcast. And but I I genuinely feel like moonstruck is a film where this very much applies to is that it is a film that isn't made anymore and isn't the hit that it is Hmm. do you know what i mean like this is it's it's like back in the do you know what i mean an oscar nominated film uh (laughs) written by john patrick shanley who uh some of you may know wrote uh wild mountain time oh yes kind of 2021 film about uh isn't isn't the kind of denouement in that film that somebody believes that they are a potato it's really odd it went something very straight to prime it's got some really dodgy accents in i believe hasn't it yeah yeah it's got it's got christopher walken who can only speak in Christopher Walken doing it yeah it's 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 it, it was a bold choice to cast him in that but but Moonstruck's a, a just a really solid film and one that both of us were able to sit down because we watched it really early on in Chelsea's Cage experience and we were both able to sit down and I got a lot out of it for the Cage you got a lot out of it for Cher it, it scratched both of our itches and uh, holds holds a big place in our heart for that reason. Yeah, it it was made at a time, a very interesting time. I think in the that year, he filmed Moonstruck, Raising Arizona, and uh, Vampire's Kiss, which didn't get released mm. for a couple of years. But like, what a what a kind of nexus point of Nicolas Cage's career. Absolutely, right? absolutely, strong times they were. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, let's jump to you, Daryl. What's your uh, number five pick for Nicolas Cage films. First of all, I mean, what a challenge to put a top five together uh, because on any other day this could change. But today, uh, my number five is a, a Nicolas Cage film, which I still maintain is very underappreciated, and that is The Weatherman. Oh. <laughs> Does that appear on anyone else's We were so list? close to no. putting it on, but it didn't make it. It was in the shortlist, but it was it's not on the top five. Oh. I, I've seen it twice, um, and I think this was one of the. I mean, I, it's a bit disingenuous to say rare examples, but I think it's a good another good example of uh, the, the comedic talent of Cage, which I just don't think he gets enough credit for. I think a lot of people are going to see it with massive talent, as we've been discussing ad nauseum. But um, kind of a similar thing of uh, a, a sort of pseudo celebrity finding his place in the world and. Um, the joy of trying to navigate what the fuck Michael Caine was doing with that accent. <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I just really enjoy it. It's, it. There's a bit of darkness to it. He's walking around with a crossbow. Um, <laughs> his hair's pretty good. 
in it as well. And something I liked as well uh, is it's uh, the director is it Gore Binsky? Yeah, Gore Binsky, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, Helmer. Yeah, it's, he did one Pirates of the Caribbean film, then made The Weatherman as a bit of a pit gap, and then made two more Pirates of the Caribbean films. And I was like, what? What an absolute stopping point for you! What? What? What a motorway junction to get off <laughs> on and just have a little, little piss break. Um, <laughs> I, I think The Weatherman's great, and I, I really, really rate it, and that's one of the, the Cage films that's stuck with me since I watched it. So I went on a podcast called Southern Double Deep, and we did a... a, a, a their, their kind of premise of their podcast is getting films that are linked by a word in the title. And I said, oh, we could do a Nicolas Cage one, because there's three films in his canon with man in the title. There's Family Man, <laughs> there's... The Weatherman and there's uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah, we could do a man triple bill and both. There might be another. There's one. a Wicker Man. Wicker Man. Is there another man. The Wicker Man. Of course, of course, the Wicker Man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they vetoed the Weatherman and the Family Man from their episode. They're like, no, they broke the rules and they said. Let's talk about Mandy. Oh. And I was like, yes, please. I will talk about Mandy until the cows come home. <laughs> uh, the one man's one I haven't seen in a while. I made a, 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 a meme about that film when Hawkeye was announced. I just took the Hawkeye logo and put it over a picture of Nicolas Cage with a, uh, with a, with a bow and arrow. I thought, I thought it was quite fitting. But uh, yeah, I, I, I can't really add to it. And yeah. Callum and Chelsea, you said it was on the long list. Uh, what, what is it you guys I like mean, uh, we, we, we often uh, end up having to do a feature on our show, which we call The Shark Cage, which is basically, uh, as an actor, I quite often end up having to go on tour, which means we have to end up recording like three episodes in one day just to make sure that the content is there and ready to go. And one of those episodes, one of those days was... I believe Ghost Rider 2, The Runner, and uh, and then we finished it off with The Weatherman. And it oh. was such a high point in a day of absolute <laughs> shite that um, it instantly became one of our favourites. I've never felt such relief. And I've, I'm worried that if I watch the film again, I won't like it as much. And that's why it didn't make it on the list. Absolutely. But, oh. but after that day, it felt like it felt like citizen kane um it was such a good film um but i think in, i think i think yep. if we did watch it again we would thoroughly enjoy it i seem it to remember fun. it being a really good dark comedy um and and having pretty much great performances throughout even though cage uh, kane's accent is dodgy <laughs> it's got a giant floating uh spongebob squarepants it's got everything yeah and is the first time that Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt work together who will be reuniting in next year's Brent of course. as well. So for us for us for us big hardened cage fans will be like, they're back on screen together. Yes, please. <laughs> so, Stu, let's move on to your number five pick. Uh it's Spirit of Vengeance. No, obviously it's not. Um <laughs> <laughs> It is Pig. 
Oh. Does that appear on anyone else's list? Yes. Oh. Let's let's park that. My number five pick is Mandy. Does that, does that appear on anyone else's list? Not on ours. Yes. Oh. Oh, fucking showing all my cards here too soon. <laughs> oh, right. Well, let's move to the listener number five pick before we get to uh, talking about some other some other uh, picks on the list. Number five for the listeners with a score of a hundred and fifteen points is Conair. <laughs> Does that appear on anyone's list? We all list? just cooed at the same time. <laughs> it is it, not on our no. list. It was. It was my number six up until about an hour before recording. <laughs> Shortlisted for me. It's as on well. my list. It's on my list. So we will be speaking about it at some point. So yeah, that is that is number five for the listeners. So let's circle back round to you, Callum and Chelsea. What is your number four uh, pick? Your top five our number ones. four pick is um, a different uh, Lovecraftian cage film. We went, we went with Color Out of Space as our number four. Oh, yeah. um, anyone else? Anyone else got Color Out of Space on their bingo card? Yeah. <gasps> oh, oh! But it's number four as well, so I'll just carry on. Oh, let's, let's go, bro. We've got two in one. Yes, please, baby. Yes, Stu. I'm feeling the vibes. Yeah. Like, so let, 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 let's, let's say this. Richard Stanley aside, mm -hmm. Colour Out yes. of Space is a great film. It's kind of the, the phasmagorical, like, kind of weird Nick Cage film. We kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, it's a kind of, a weird one-two punch with that Amandi, which is like chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Yes, Absolutely, please. it felt like um, it felt like a weird VHS that I accidentally got shown as a child <laughs> that my dad shouldn't have allowed me to see, and um, yes, I I just thoroughly enjoyed it because it it did everything that I wanted from a weird um space body horror film in that it gave me bits of john carpenter's the thing it gave me lovecraft um and it, it and felt... also it was just a beautiful film like mm. i'm so sick of gray movies this was just gorgeous to look at in a really weird alien way yeah yeah for for a tiny budget as well con yeah. con considering the a lot of what was on screen was really really impressive as well i mean what I know we've bashed, it's easy to bash the MCU and the last year and a half hasn't been great for CG and stuff. But some of the stuff in Colorado Space would not look at a place on a $300 million superhero movie. Not, okay. not at all. Absolutely. So I actually, I actually spoke to Dan Martin, who was the uh, like effects supervisor for Colorado Space. He's like kind of, he also did Possessor, the Brandon Cronenberg film. And it's kind of, steadily becoming for my money like the 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 name to look out for in kind of like effects in kind of mm. practical do you know what I mean like gooey horrible like scrungy effects and like yeah he, he he said like 
the stuff they did on that film, like um, the like when they're melded together, the, 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 the wife. Yeah, that is like a kind of it's it's a mixture of like puppet and a kind of performer inside of it who's like a contortionist who can like kind of rattle about on like their back and stuff like that, which creates that like I don't know unsettling aspect to that film. I think yeah, I think that's why that stuff mm. works really well. Yeah, it? yeah, it it had it it felt both at the same time like a legitimate scary horror film while also being a fun throwback B-movie at the same time. It did both of those things for us. I believe we've been lost again. I am so sorry about this. When you hear this, Petros, I'm so sorry. Can you hear us? Definitely. Definitely. I can agree with you more. So... Let's move on. Who who is next on the list? Is it? Uh, let me get a. It is Daryl. What is your number four pick, Daryl? So uh, my number four. Um, and even as we're talking, I'm still I'm still reassessing this list and moving things <laughs> around. Hello, uh, can you hear us? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, 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 I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, something I said about two minutes ago has finally got through to you, Daryl, and stopped you in your tracks. I apologize. <laughs> That's a yellow card, you son of a. <laughs> um, no, absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, yes, my number four, like I said, I think even as we're talking about this, I feel like I still need to reassess my list. I'm just sort of scribbling, like, oh, do I swap these around? Do I add something else? Um, but I think I am going to lock in my number four is uh, Mandy. Oh, so yeah, as I said, that's my number five pick. Um, what is it? Well, let uh, I want to briefly talk about the last time I watched Mandy. I mean, imagine it's probably the same for you, Daryl. I watched Mandy after a run of watching The Rock, Con Air, Face Off drive angry in the cinema at the prince charles an all-nighter so mandy started at seven o'clock in the morning (laughs) and it was kind of like a transcendental experience like i kind of i've never had a cinema experience like it is is that is that similar to yourself oh i'll sit next to you (laughs) (laughs) it was um you know, at the point Mandy came on during that, I, I think I'd been awake about 28 hours at that point. And that is a very, very trippy film to watch when you <laughs> haven't slept. And I was passing in and out of consciousness as my body was trying to shut down, but my awkward six foot four gangly frame wouldn't allow it because I was too uncomfortable. And I was just slipping in and out of all this purple and these animated sequences. And then there's fuck pig and then there's drugs and then there's. Uh, the horn of Abraxas. Um, but I'd, I think even just from watching it at cinema to watching it at home, and I just don't think uh, sort of visually, aesthetically, just everything about it, I've just never seen a movie like it before or since. And it, if you come away from that movie and you're not even a little bit disturbed or changed, then something is grotesquely wrong with you. You're a sociopath and should be in a padded room. 
Um, it's such an affecting film. Like it's a revenge story. It's a love story. It's a horror story. Um, and it, it's one that I just um, just be very happy to gush about because it's just so incredible. And I'm just uh, pumped as well to see what uh, Panos Cosmatos does next as well because that man. I think you know only two films in. I think that man is very much in auteur. What I find fascinating about Mandy is every time I've watched it, I've kind of like got a new thing out of it. And it's kind of once you kind of get into the rhythm of the film, and kind of like you've got to let it like weirdly wash over you and kind of just like live in it and kind of feel what the film is doing. Because I don't know, I think a lot of people expected it to be like an 80 minute action, like, do you know what I mean? Action revenge movie. And it's not. It's kind of this weird meditation on grief and loss. And it kind of has a, a perfect Nicolas Cage, like, earned freak out. Like, that scene that kind of gets clipped out and shown of him screaming in the bathroom is like, that is how anyone would react in that situation. Do you know what I mean? The love of your life has been dragged away from you and murdered and burnt alive. Of course you're going to down a bottle of vodka and scream in a bathroom, kind of this primal, like, rage inside of you. And, like, from then on, kind of, the film kind of just, like, ramps up and ramps up. And, yeah, every time I watch it, I'm kind of like, I love this film a little more and a little more and a little more. I'm going to be controversial then. I said I didn't like it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, Fuck you, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I think the problem with it was, I think... Stu's recording here, for some reason, just went mental. And the audio is lost to the sands of time. But possessed. That was like something... That, like, me, t- me talking down, Mandy's has sent something from beyond. <laughs> As as a fellow Midlander as well, Stu, what the fuck, man? Come on. I think the problem with it was um, we didn't, none, all three of us had not seen it. Well, I think Andy might have seen it. And it was one of them things where as soon as we started doing it, people were saying, watch Mandy, watch Mandy. So we'd say, well, no, we won't. We won't do what we're told. We will do it in the random order that we have. And by the time we got round to it, and we'd already, obviously we watched We'd watched Color Out of Space first, and we all loved that. University loved that film. We got to Mandy, and I've, I've kind of thought ever since that I need to watch it again because however fucked up and mental it is, <laughs> and the scenes in there, when we, we talked it, I think it was probably one of the longest podcasts that we did, and we have maybe even still, still is, because there's so many great moments in there, but there's so much stuff going on I think we said at the time that it, there's almost too much, that it, it goes too far. And maybe that's the point. Maybe we just didn't get it and I need to watch it again because it's one of them where there's not been a lot. I mean, there's been things like Left Behind, which I'm guessing is not going to be on this list, um, that was just awful. And I'm never going to watch that again because why would I torture myself? But I think Mandy, I will give Mandy another chance, but the one and only time I watched it, it didn't hit me. I, I totally understand that. I kind of felt perplexed the first time I watched it, and it's kind of I've four or five times in now watching it. And as I said, like that is the kind of the the weird thing about it. Like 
I don't know, once you kind of delve into the knowing what it is going in, I think is a bit more like, I don't know, you, you get more from it. And I, I know that's hard to ask of people with a film, mm. like watch it again and again and again, because it's two hours. It could easily, yeah, it could easily be like an 80 minute romp of just like vengeance and carnage, but it, it's tr- it, it's saying something, I think, a little bit more. And I don't know. I'm, yeah, I think I'm just an ardent <laughs> defender of it. <laughs> so, my number four is Vampire's Kiss, which I think is a nexus point of Nicolas Cage's career in the fact that he chat like has seemed to have channeled that performance and made like it a part of things he's done ever since and it was very much his playground as an actor he was pushing everything he can do to the limits and seeing what he can get away with whether it's the kind of ill behavior that's reported on set it's him taking that jared leto style method to the nth degree of eating a cockroach or treating jessica bills like shit none of that which i condone i think that kind of like it's always i think robert pattinson said it it's always people when they're acting like an asshole mm-hmm. they're using the method you never hear of anyone doing like oh i'm playing mr rogers like do you know what I mean? <laughs> tom hanks was like, oh yeah I, I i went method for playing mr rogers do you know what I mean? like ben ben wishaw didn't go. Uh, I'm sure he probably is anyway, but wasn't like shouting about. Going, Do you know what? To play Paddington, I went method. I was just lovely to everyone, and people who are a bit mean, I gave them a, like a cons- like I, I gave them a, a a stare. Do you know what I mean? It's like you do you, did, you don't hear any of that. You you only hear these stories of people going method when they're absolute arseholes. And yeah, but um, I don't know. It's a fascinating film. Like. Cage kind of channels the German expressionism that he talks about and is referenced in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I think it's a film that is basically like American Psycho point mm-hmm. oh in regards to like it's talking about yuppie culture. It's talking about these overprivileged arseholes in New York and what they get away with and this is it's a it's a film about toxic masculinity as well right is this he's got this oh i don't know overinflated sense of importance and feel like he can treat women like shit and kind of it's all about me 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 and what what peter lowe wants and doesn't kind of like look out to the external world and just think it's a fascinating artifact i mean fun fact as well this is one i hadn't seen until three weeks ago um so it's one of the most recent ones that we did and i didn't obviously apart from i think we even called the um the episode you know the meme or something something like that because i've obviously seen all the memes of it and the, the pictures and everything without context now I've got context i mean i went into it not knowing what it was either i'd same as it with with most things I'll go in not knowing anything. So going in thinking it was an actual vampire film and then after about twenty five minutes thinking this is a piss take and having that realisation kind of this is it this is genius. And I, I have the same as you, Petra, so I, the whole um American psycho thing straight away. It's like, yeah, you can see where that film great influence is from because he is it's almost like when he's 
walking through the nightclub with the fangs in his mouth is almost like where you're feeding the cats at the ATM. It's very, very yeah. similar. Um, but yeah, it's... And then <laughs> the coffin sofa and all... There's moments of absolute superb comic, comic timing in that is second to none. And it's in a film that's not really a comedy as such. It's more of a tragic black comedy tale of kind of yeah. 80s privilege and... Again, a film where you could write so much about where you, there's no, obviously not the intention made for that. Yeah, it's a film that feels like it was made before mm-hmm. its time. Like now, like in the kind of early 2000s when American Psycho came out, it, we could look back at that time and be like, oh, wasn't that excess and kind of, wasn't that gauche and horrible? Whereas like at the time, people were like, Oh, cocaine's great. I love it. Like, I'm partying all the time. I'm doing what I want. It's all about me. Whereas, like, I don't, I think, I think the future eyes have looked back on that film for what it is. And it's kind of, it's great. Like you said, it's a, it's, it's a black comedy that kind of you know, gets to the heart of its issue whilst being absolutely mental and gives Nicolas Cage the scope to literally say, let's move on to oh conveniently the four pick from the listeners is mandy with 118 points skimmed a lot of points for that and it's uh yeah it's a good one so let's move on to everybody's number three picks Let's start off with Callum and Chelsea. What's your number three? Our number three pick is Adaptation. Does that appear on anyone else's list? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I think Daryl shit the bed on this. We've, uh, we kind of know Daryl's whole <laughs> list. Uh, right, let's, let's park that for a minute and let's move on to you, Daryl. What is your number three pick? This is one I was. I've been, I've been toying it up, um, but you know what? I think I'm going to say my number three is Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. Mm. Oh, does that appear on anyone else's list? No, no. Right, sell us. What? 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 What's, what, what? What do you love? Keep it brief. Let's let's kind of. Let's kind of start to rattle rattle through this, Daryl. What, what what is it you love about uh, Bad Lieutenant? I think this was just a film that sort of came out of almost out of nowhere, sort of following G Force just before Kick Ass. I don't think enough people saw it, but this is Cage um, getting to be a little bit unhinged, but in I guess like a controlled environment of uh, Cajun acting as well uh, a man with a bad back on a drug binge trying to find a killer who may or may not be Exhibit and then uh, with, under the guise of Werner Herzog who just loves close-ups on lizards uh, and one of, the, one of the greatest things I've seen like shoot him again because his soul's still dancing whilst that harmonica goes on it's just it's, it's a silly film but it's, it's so good um, I think if you want to see um, some cage freak outs in context uh but like just a good fun plot as well um and another film that expresses cage's love for new orleans i think bad lieutenant is such such a great pick and i think more people should uh give this some consideration um because you know bad lieutenant for them 
good cage for me. <laughs> yes. What, one of the things I love about that film is on set, Werner Herzog kept saying to Cage, release the pig, release the pig inside of you, which obviously, like, uh, years later, it would only come into fruition in 2021, we know what that means, and he kind of does release the pig. Uh, so let's go on to Stu's number three pick. What is it? What is and it, it is Raising Arizona. Oh, does that appear on anyone else's list? Ding, ding, ding. It does. Right, let's park that one for a moment. My number three pick is Pig. Does that, 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 that appears lower on your list, right, Daryl? It's a a, a touch higher for me. Right, so let's park that for a moment and then move on to the listener number three pick which is raising <laughs> arizona again we're gonna have to park that conversation until it appears on alan and chelsea's list um so let's move on to everyone's number two so Hello well, let's immediately it's your number two pick raising arizona let's immediately unpack it it is Raising Arizona, number two. You didn't hear that, did you? Ah, uh. <laughs> uh, damn it. What is it you like about Raising Arizona then, guys? Um, I mean, it's, um, it's a Coen Brothers cartoon that just happens to be live action no what is it you like about raising arizona then guys oh <laughs> we just answered that question time is catching up on us hello can you hear us <laughs> hello Yes, can you hear, can hear, hear us. Hear. Hello? Hello, can you hear us? If you say the word pineapple, yes. I'll know that yes, we're yes, in yes, sync. Yes, yes, yes. Never on pizza. Pineapple. Okay, Brilliant. Um, Raising Arizona is a um, live-action Coen Brothers cartoon film. Um, I, 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 I think Cage's performance is, is, even though it's our number two spot, I think it is his best performance ever. It's fun. It's dynamic. It's... A, a proper caper. I just love everything about that film. Um, and it was my first, it was our second episode because it was my first attempt mm-hmm. to actually persuade Chelsea that Nicolas Cage was a proper actor. It was a really good opening gambit. <laughs> so why, why is it your number three, Stu? For the, the epitome of one of our rankings being Crazy Cage, because that's exactly what this film is. And it's it's him dialed up to 20 when there's only 10 on the dial. It's He's completely outrageous. He's completely over the top. But everything, even the John Goodman in it, it just feels... It's so outrageous, but it, it feels like somewhere that actually exists. <laughs> and it, 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 you kind of you yes. completely believe that this absolute madness... If, child abduction <laughs> and babies on roofs and stuff like that is actually going to happen and, and it could happen and they nail every single aspect of this and I hadn't seen it for a long long time and I was when we rewatched it probably about a year ago 
I was really worried that it would have aged and that I'd have been wrong. And boy, was I not wrong at all. It was superb. And it still is. And it still holds up. Even even for people, you watch it now, you say, oh, a Coen Brothers film. You think, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. It hasn't aged at all. It's superb. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of like, I know that uh, Edgar Wright has cited it as being like his favourite film of all time. And it's like, uh, yes, I have tried to reach out to Edgar and be like, please come talk about Raising Arizona on my podcast. And I'm sure, I'm sure uh, uh, the, 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 the four of you will probably be doing the same after this, but like it is, it is that thing. He's like a Tex Avery cartoon come to life, right? He's like, he's like Wiley Coyote, just kind of, I don't know. He moves about the screen, and it's it's interesting to hear that he didn't get on with the Coens that well, like whilst making it, because it's that thing. I don't know that thing. Sometimes when you hear people have too good of a time making a film, the film doesn't turn out well mm. but like when you hear these stories of people they didn't get on and then the film turns out and it's like ah, oh, that that kind of tension made for something really really interesting yeah absolutely and i think that there's probably something in that as well where if you if everyone has such a good time on set then they maybe get too comfortable whereas if there's a bit of a bit of animosity it's almost like well, okay i'll outdo you and i've got something to prove kind of thing it doesn't come across like that because everyone looks like they're having their best time of their lives. But I guess that's that's the genius in, it, in itself as well, that they are actors and they're, everyone's throwing everything they've got at this film. And it's wonderful. for the, All the more for yeah. it. So let's roll on to Daryl's number two pick. Uh, so my number two is Pig. Oh. Yes. Please tell us, Daryl, what is it you love about Pig? I think for, for a number of reasons. I think one, because this was such a limited release when it came out and then I had to travel an hour to Sheffield to go and watch it. So the effort <laughs> I put into watching this film for one um and two this was kind of um i know i know Kay just said this is the film where he felt like he arrived as an actor and he can sort of see that 40 years of sort of ups and downs and heartbreaks and trials and tribulations have just gone into this the character of chef robin um and it's such like a poetic beautiful movie as well um and i, I don't often get sort of emotionally moved by films a lot um it takes like a lot to sort of get that sort of that deep reaction out of me. Uh, and that's a me thing. That's not a movie thing, but pig is one of the sort of few movies where, you know, no spoilers, but I, I teared up like it really got me. And I just felt like, Oh Jesus Christ. When I sort of came out of it. Um, and it, it was just a beautiful, such a beautiful performance from a cage. And I think for everyone who's seen it, and I'm sure us in agreement here that, Cage should have been nominated, and um, Oscars aside, Will Smith shouldn't have won for King Richard. I don't, <laughs> I don't care about this. I don't give a shit about the slap. Let's top, stop talking about the slap. That was Cage's award. You coward, and you took it from him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can agree more. Uh, like, I, I would say one of my like crowning 
achievements of of doing the caves in podcast is the podcast that i put out i got to speak to a plethora of people who were involved in this film whether it was director michael zarnowski producer vanessa block or even um chris zarnecki who was the technical advisor for nick to how to look like a chef a kind of portland native his family have got this rich history of dealing with truffles and kind of uh being a part of the portland uh cuisine scene and yeah like um i just think i don't know it is one of those films like, i think you touched on it way earlier in the episode Stu, about it was a tough sell to people like everyone as soon as you kind of said what it was they were like oh it's john wick with a pig this it's like no it's so much more it is like i i think i said to everyone who's involved in it it's got like the kind of ending has more in common with Ratatouille <laughs> than it does with John Wick. Do you know what I mean? It's kind absolutely, of absolutely, yeah. That that was our that was our sort of takeaway from it. It's not on our top five, but it it could have easily been on a different day. It's a it's an absolutely fabulous film, and like you said, it, 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 I came away with it having that same appreciation for someone's craft that I came away with when I saw that little animated rat cook a nice meal like <laughs> yeah absolutely robin Ro- robin and remy like that's the dream team we want oh to see. man if, like if they opened up a like a, a, a some sort of gourmet five-star restaurant in shoreditch i would be queuing around the block <laughs> to get in there yes please yes please yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a it is a michelin star movie for sure uh, so Let's move on to the listener oh, number. I was, two. I was just going to say before we before we moved on, it, this was one of these yeah. films where normally these kind of films I do not watch. All this Oscar bait stuff is the bane of my life. Every year you look at it and things like so you know exactly what's going to win or what's being pitched. Hate them, hate them. So I went into this thinking like we said about the John Wick thing. I thought it was going to be John Wick with a pig. Having not seen the trailer or anything like that, and like Daryl Love Machine said, it made him cry. And the only two films last year made me tear up. One was Coda, through just pure happiness, and this, and and I think that's probably two out of three films in my entire life that I've sobbed at afterwards. And we had <laughs> we had David Nell who played Chef Finway. We we had yes, him on the show, yeah. and I was at my cousin's wedding on that episode, so I didn't. I was on not on there, um, and he went to great lengths to take the piss out of me for having going to a wedding on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, it, I talked to David too. He's a, he's a, he's such a lovely guy, and it's kind of like looking at his career. It's amazing to see him kind of get this. I don't scene stealing performance against Nicolas Cage, right? That kind of. His performance as Chef Finway is just breathtaking. Yeah. And yet another person who says what a great guy Nicholas Cage is. Definitely, yeah. That's that's all the feedback I've ever heard from people. I know there's been stories in his earlier career, like in the eighties when he was kind of trying to find his feet, where people were like, No, Vampire's Kiss, it's like, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a rap scallion and stuff like that. Whereas uh Yeah, he 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 I don't know. He, he just seems like the nicest, the nicest guy like nowadays. Um, so yeah, let's move on to the number two pick from the listeners, which is 
face off. Does this appear on anyone's list? It's my number two. Ho ho! Perfectly leading in to Stu's number two. Does it? Oh, we're jumping. We'll double back to Callum and Chelsea in a second. So yeah, let's quickly discuss face off. What is it you like about face off? I think it was the first cage film I ever saw. I mean, it, it, there's kind of there's a few around that time where I can't be hundred percent sure, but I think I'd I'd seen um, Broken Arrow. So I didn't watch it in the cinema. I watched it on video. I'd seen Broken Arrow with, and obviously the whole Travolta thing. I thought, oh well, it's got Travolta in. I'll watch this, not knowing at the time as a what was I, ninety five, bit eleven, twelve year old, <laughs> so twelve, thirteen year old kid, not not being well versed in this stuff, and I. <laughs> It's just absurd, isn't it? <laughs> the, the whole thing is so mental. And again, going from what I said earlier about Raising Arizona, I was kind of worried because it had been one of them films where I bought it on DVD as soon as I had a PS2. I bought it on Blu-ray years ago as well. And I thought, do I watch it again? Has it going to have aged? As it, I mean, apart from the Super Mario Brothers boots in the prison, <laughs> which were sprayed black. Which is a ridiculous fact. Um, it still holds up as a completely insane action film, which is yeah. completely implausible. Doesn't make any sense in the real world. The whole body shape thing. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just brilliant fun, and it's always going to be in my top five, it, regardless of what happens and how 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 many Oscar-nominated films he makes from now on. Face Off's never leaving that because it's wonderful. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Yeah, right? I think that's why like listeners and that. Yeah, it, it. I don't know. For me, it was a toss up between one of the three kind of uh, mid nineties actioners, and I, I picked a different one. But like, face off on a different day could have easily have been in my in my um my top five. I, I totally agree with you. So let's move on to Callum and Chelsea's number two pick. Our oh. number two pick was Raising Arizona. I think we've got our numbers muddled up. So we have. <laughs> uh, fuck! Um, oh, it's going to make the edit even harder. Um, I, think I've, yeah, I think I've skipped one because I didn't talk about a certain film, which is my number four. But um, I'll edit all this out. So... My number, oh no, I think my number four was on Daryl's list. So, uh, um, uh, uh, we need to do audience number uh, two. We've done that. Audience number, yeah. So let's talk about audience it's number face two. Off. Uh, audience number two was yeah. face off. Yeah, yeah. So now we move to everyone's number one. Let's start with you guys. Callum and Chelsea. Okay, so the cage content on this one is quite low, but our number one pick is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Beautiful, beautiful pick. What is it you guys love about I that I mean, film? we picked it purely for the film rather than the cage. We tried to view this as a, a cage starring films rather than cage performances. But he is great in it, by the way. But it was just clearly when we looked at our list what film would we happily put on any time of the day when we were in any mood in any situation and 
it was clear that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was the correct answer. Yeah, it's beautiful. It brought something new, a new aesthetic, uh, a new kind of look to at what that point at that point was kind of a very starting to get tired superhero universe and I think it's just so beautifully done the craft in it is incredible and it's an incredibly touching story which is also a stupid fun Spider-Man comedy as well yeah just uh, we'll gush about it forever one of those films that like Paddington 2 could easily be dismissed as a stupid children's film but is actually legitimately pure cinema yeah, it's crazy as well that Nicolas Cage, I think, has like seven minutes screen time in that, but leaves such a such a lasting impression. Like his his Spider Man Noir is kind of you know, it, it just leaves such a mark and it's like I know people are calling for like, when's he gonna get a spin off film? Like we'd love to see that kind of whether it's live action or animated, just like, do you know what I mean? Him in the him in the nineteen thirties, nineteen forties beating up Nazis and kind of oh, totally. drinking his egg creams and stuff like that. Like I, I, I would I, I would pay folding money to see that. <laughs> Absolutely. Why Sony are messing about doing bloody Morbius, I don't know, when they oh, have got more just do more spider verses. Give me more Spidermans. Yes. We're, we're getting yes. Elm Huerto, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> we are also getting two two more Spider-Verse. Absolutely. Films, so I mustn't uh, grumble too loudly. Let, let's hold on to that. Yeah, let's hope that, 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 that Cage, Cage returns. I couldn't see why he wouldn't. Uh, hopefully they get to the, the next one across the Spider-Verse. Hopefully they get to visit his, his multiverse oh. and kind of live in that for a bit and kind of I don't know, his noirish black and white world would be fantastic with, yeah, Oscar Isaac's Spider-Man 2049 or whatever it's, 2099 or whoever the hell he is and kind of Miles Morales visiting that that world would would, would be fantastic. Um, So let's move on to Daryl's number one. Uh, number one for me is adaptation. Yes. Good choice. Oh yes, please. It was this. Uh, I kind of always baffled that I just hadn't heard of it before starting this podcast, um, and then just coming up to it doing the research was like this was had like so much award contention and um watching the movie it just absolutely blew me away because i wasn't too familiar with the work of charlie kaufman so just going into this completely blind and even now 20 years later um i still feel to some extent it's a movie that not enough people talk about or or are aware of in the canon of cage that they should be i feel if if you go to any you know tom dick or harry on the street i think i feel that adaptation should be in there top 10 because it's such an acclaimed film um shame on jack nicholson adrian brody and daniel day lewis for sweeping the awards that year for best actor shame on you all i'll never forgive you for this um <laughs> you you monsters um but it's it's just fascinatingly written um as we said like with massive talent you're watching the literal adaptation of the movie before your eyes and Cage putting in a turn as Charlie and the fictitious twin Donald Kaufman as well. 
it's just it's just incredible and there are certain movies I've said on my podcast and it's always I think we can agree a ridiculous thing to have to say but there are certain movies that when you need a reminder that Nicolas Cage is a fucking brilliant actor you tell people to watch adaptation mm-hmm. yeah I can agree with you more it's kind of it's it baffles me that it doesn't have a blu-ray release in the UK mm. Like doesn't have that kind of slap up release. It's kind of it was on Netflix for a while. Like you can pick up the DVD, but like yeah, it's it's one that I don't know. Him, Meryl Streep, and Chris Cooper just put in these absolutely show stealing performances, and it's I don't know. It's it's a work of mind boggling genius, right? Just the kind of layers upon layers that it deals with, and the you feel really smart when you're watching it right when you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i as you watch it and you kind of figure stuff out or just kind of yeah daryl said this on the, like, a podcast we both guested on together like when you go oh there that like we're watching the movie he's writing the movie that we're watching it's like oh isn't this isn't this like highbrow aren't i aren't i clever for figuring this out even though it's like written and it just plays with the conventions and it's like it's like a darker version of the unbearable weight of massive talent right in the in the way that it kind of i don't know has this what very much more cynical look at hollywood and it 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 very much feels like a film like how the fuck did (laughs) yeah and it, it, I think what Daryl said though, it, it's very hard to find. I don't know if it's on, if it's available to rent now. But when we went to talk about it, be, none of us had heard about it. No one I know had heard about it. We couldn't find it anywhere. We had to, we had to get to the darkest parts of the internet to find it. In the end, it's just invisible, and no one knows about it. I don't know how, because it's, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's, it's almost like it's made to be written about it's that it's that dense in parts yeah yeah it's invisible to most people it's baffling. Is this where we all club together and decide to make sure that like arrow video do a really nice blu-ray <laughs> for us yeah yeah i i, I know that because they put out they put out being john malkovich and it was like you have the perfect like little box set there, mm. the the Spike Jones Charlie oh, Kaufman double. That would be bill. glorious. Like, oh, like you can imagine like the beautiful kind of like new art for it. And I know that it got a got a it got a release by Shout Factory in the US, and it's like you could just like import some of. Do you know what I mean import some of the special features from that? Maybe get like a a, a new interview from Spike Jones or. I don't know, like it, it. It feels like the people involved in it are not the people who like to do interviews. You know what I mean, Charlie Kaufman very much seems like he's like, nah, I do what I do. I'll let you know what I'm doing when I'm making a film, and I, I won't do any interviews. Like Spike Jones again is quite elusive, and when he does appear on stuff, he kind of just pranks the interviewers and stuff like that. And then yeah, Nicolas Cage. I don't know. I don't know how invested he is in revisiting his old work no no maybe get an interview from um who's the author uh 
Yeah, get get an interview from the, the author who the orchid who wrote the orchid thief because that would be that would be a fantastic that would be a fascinating kind of thing of how the film impacted her life and the kind of like I don't know the the liberties that the film takes with her as well would be yeah would be really weird and another layer of kind of meta weirdness. So, Stu, what's your number one? Tell us. It is The Rock. Oh, baby. Just perfect. All, the, all three of them, Cage, Sean Connery and Ed Harris, who's, again, very underrated for what he does in quite a lot of films. Ed Harris, I don't know why, because he, he, he never puts in a bad performance at all, but obviously this is not about Ed Harris, it's about Nicolas Cage, and it's one of my favourite films of all time, regardless of who's in it. I just love it from... I think I've got a feeling that this is it was either this or face off when I was talking about the first one I saw. It was around about the same time. This was definitely the this was definitely the second or third. And I've probably watched this film a good 10 15 times. It's every few years and I don't other than Die Hard every Christmas because that's the law. I don't have many films that I watched like this. And there's just something about it. And like we were, we were talking about Ambulance earlier, about the whole Michael Bay thing. Can <laughs> we started on Ambulance, Stu. <laughs> I realise that I've always liked Michael Bay. Like Michael Bay has been a part of me forever. And maybe that's why I got an kind of unhealthy addiction to the Transformers films and even the Turtles ones, which well, I know they're shit. I know they are. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I, I just the way he does things, it kind of... It, it hits me, but this film is legitimately excellent. And it's not just typical Michael Bay, even though you got the, the car stuff in, in San Francisco and whatever. It's a legitimately really good film. It's got a re- really strangely good plot for what it is as well. And the setting as well. Everything there is perfection and it's never leaving. Like Face Off, it's never leaving. And it's one of my favourite films of all time. Perfect. Perfect. That is, that is, uh, that is, yeah, that is a, I totally understand. It's like, yeah, I kind of wrote that film off for years. I don't know why. I, th- I think I had an aversion to Sean Connery because I've ne- never been a Bond fan, but like watching it again recently, I was like, this is so good. And like you, I'm probably more of a closeted Michael Bay fan, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of wave my Michael Bay flag a lot more recently. Like I unashamedly love, um armageddon like yeah i recently i think ambulance was i came out of that film kind of sweating and shaking where i felt like i'd been on like a two hour plus roller coaster like it was just such an experience and like i just think he is i don't know he's one of a dying breed of these kind of mad man directors that just does what he does like yeah, he's got some problematic things with his films in regards to like shooting up skirts mm-hmm. of women and stuff like that and ogling and stuff. But when he's kind of doing this stuff, like just out and out action, it's great. It's great. I, I kind of I feel like he suits the kind of adult orientated action movies as opposed to when he starts to delve into 
stuff that is more family friendly he still kind of makes it a bit weird with that kind of misogynistic lens that he puts on stuff yeah that's fair (laughs) (laughs) hello it's petros from the future here uh when i came to edit this episode i realized i'd made a big boo-boo i think i was quite drunk uh by the time we got to this point and didn't mention my number one pick before we get into the uh listener ranked top uh top spot uh yeah my one was red rock west that's why you won't hear uh, a little bit of chat with me and the guys yeah i i think red rock west is a fantastic film and marks a time in Nicolas cage's career before he kind of i don't know in a weird way before people really had any expectations of who he was it kind of felt like once we get into the um beige volvo trilogy of the rock con air and face off people then he's this mega star and red rock west was a time 1993 when he had that opportunity to still be a character actor still do interesting stuff not that he hasn't done interesting stuff since as this conversation uh, throughout has proved he's he's still doing interesting stuff to this day but it felt like there wasn't this memification of cage there wasn't this kind of I don't know people knew him but didn't quite know him yet he plays this yeah fantastic lead and it's this adult thriller something like you don't really get to see these days it feels like if red rock west was made today it would be a mini series not so much a film and it's this tightly wound fantastic noir western thriller there's fantastic performances from jt walsh lara flynn boyle and dennis hopper in supporting roles and it's it's an absolute joy and um, i can't wait because signal one are putting out a blu-ray release of this film if you've listened to my episode back with uh, nick helm when we talked about it earlier this year we kind of spent most of the time going oh why has nobody released this why has nobody released this and yeah signal one have announced that that is coming so i can't wait to kind of delve into that i know that there's a john dahl commentary track gonna be on it and uh, i believe there's like new interviews and stuff like that so yeah i can't wait to digest that because it is it is is my favorite nick cage film maybe because i've i've watched it a lot recently i kind of I don't know and and I always have this uh feeling that I should support the underdog and it's a massively underseen cage film and uh, I think it's actually his highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes not that that means anything but yeah it's fantastic and if you haven't checked it out be sure to check it out but let's go back to past drunk Petros to hear what the audience number one pick is so let's move on to the audience number one pick which is with 129 points pig oh we've discussed this film so that was the that was the audience number one i guess there's a lot of recency bias i would imagine with a film like pig right people would have like it's the last film that kind of stuck in their mind being like that was great and i guess a lot of people bought into that whole thing of like it's the best film cage has done in years yeah i think there might be to, something I'll oh, go for it 
<laughs> I was going to say there is there might be something in in that, but I genuinely do think it's one of the, the one of the best films that's ever been made, regardless of who's in it or or when it was made. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it stands. I mean, none of us have put unbearable weight in this list, and it's got every right to be because of how fun it is. And it could have counted because we've done it after we've all seen it. And there's a lot of more modern films in there. I mean, we never even mentioned things like, I mean, I mentioned Mom and Dad briefly earlier. Um, things like Willy's Wonderland, which oh, we loved. I mean, we've even got a picture of Willy on our, our cage fighting header on our logo for everything everything we do. It's always there looking over it. Um, so there has been films where there have been relatively recent that are a talking point but I just think Pig is such an outstanding piece of well anything let alone film media games music it's one of the most incredible pieces of art ever made for me and I think it fully deserves to be there yeah I, I agree with you it's kind of beautiful meditation on I don't know, things that we all feel and I think it it really resonated with people when it came out because a lot of people during the pandemic would have felt mm-hmm. lost and would have felt this loneliness and kind of would have lived these isolated lives and kind of came out at a time when people were venturing back out into the world. And I think it just it, it hit a nerve with the kind of collective consciousness of us all that kind of meant something to everyone. And it kind of took everyone by surprise. And I don't know, I guess for the more initiated Cage fans and people who were kind of keeping an ear to what it was about kind of suspected it might not be that John Wick with a pig. It might be something a bit more deep. And the fact that it turned out to be that is is beautiful. Like, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I can't disagree with, yeah, people that it's it's their number one pick. Like, uh, 97 people can't be wrong, right? That's all. We are, we are the 97. (laughs) (laughs) Let's wrap this chat up. It has been an absolute joy to talk to you all for way too long. Let's be honest. This has been one of the longest episodes I've recorded in a very long time. And I thank you all for coming and joining me. So as we say goodbye, I will go around and ask you, where can people find you? Let's start with you Callum and Chelsea where can people find your podcast and yourselves if they want to keep up to date with everything that you're doing so the best place to find us uh as I'm sure with everyone else is on Twitter Elon Musk's cowboy playground (laughs) uh and you can find us at Nick Cage pod that is the uh contemptuous spelling of n-i-c-c-a-g-e-p-o-d Nick Cage pod that's the best place to get your updates about us and if you also want to listen to us, oh. you can oh. listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual places. We'll be there. Amazing. What? Well, uh, yeah, uh, let's not get into the Nick uh, K or C argument. Uh, I, I, I have, I, I've had that argument online with uh, many a people, and I always end up looking like a 
anti-vaxxer. Daryl, what about yourself? Where can we find you online? Uh, all over the shop. You can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast, Instagram at cage rage pod. Um, I'm on TikTok, which is weird and uncomfortable because I'm 30 years old at cage rage podcast. Uh, and you can find Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast and all the usual streaming services. If you've heard of it, it's probably there. Amazing. What about yourself, Stu? Where can we find Cage Fighting? At Cage Fighting Pod on Twitter and just Cage Fighting um, on all the usual places. Amazingly, we had that. We didn't get done for an MMA stuff, which after we came up with a name to, th- to start with, none of us considered that it could be some kind of mixed martial arts or ufc based thing but apparently not no it didn't happen so yeah cage fighting pod um on twitter um and everywhere else just cage fighting just look for the picture of willie in the background on the head on the on the thumbnail and it's there (laughs) come on well keeping it pg there's more than one lover man in this chat So you can find me on all the usual places. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and TikTok at Cage in Pod. And if you have any uh, questions or you want to fight any of the points that we made on this podcast, did you agree with any of our top fives? Did you disagree? Did you vote? Did you not vote? If you didn't, fuck you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You had plenty of opportunity. If you did it in no particular order, doubly fuck you because i put it out time and time again that i wanted it ranked from five to one you could have been a part of this lovely conversation but you squandered it remember to follow on all the socials to vote on whose top five is your favorite because yeah without that this is not pointless it was a fun conversation it was still a great podcast but Let's keep the competitiveness going. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited to see who comes out the victor out the end of all of this uh, madness. This really is, as Stu said at the beginning, the true multiverse of madness. But yeah, you can you can, you can can find me on all of those at Caged in Pod, or you can drop me an email if you want to confess your love to me, or maybe really i don't you want to send me a death threat uh for 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 calling you out for saying in no particular order you can do that at caged in pod at gmail.com and as always uh rate review subscribe on apple podcast acast spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now and as always i have been your host petros patsilibus i've been caged in You've been amazing. I'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.